the future of work is about your values and it's about the way you want to feel. And that's why looking more for career belonging than career fit to me is on that path towards realizing your potential. If you are just trying to fit in what other people tell you to do and what you think work is supposed to be and what your parents celebrated as, as a good career, I feel like we're setting people up to fail. Welcome to the Disrupted Workforce, where we help courageous professionals explore, expand, and evolve in the future of work. Are you curious to understand how all these disruptions are changing how we work in our careers? Trying to self-assess and build an actionable plan to thrive in the future of work? Looking for research and insights from thought leaders to help you and your organization? Then this is the show for you and you found your tribe. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Today on TDW, we are delighted to have Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, the leading expert on hybrid professional identity, which we will certainly be getting into more on the show. Sarah Beth was featured in Forbes, is a TEDx speaker, and is the author of the fantastic book, More Than My Title. Sarah Beth is also the chief of staff at Talent to Team, but calls herself a creative disruptor, which is her hybrid identity, because she works at the intersection of being an artist, researcher, educator, and designer. Through her research, she has developed a -a one-of-a-kind approach to personal branding and career development, which helps professionals discover and articulate their hybrid professional identity and unique value in the workforce. As a result, her clients feel more seen, empowered, and confident. And we think this is so important because identity is one of the biggest topics for the next decade and beyond. Dr. Burke has a PhD from the University of Denver and degrees from the School of Art Institute of Chicago and Rhode Island School of Design, or RISD, as we call it in Massachusetts, where I'm from. She loves dark chocolate chip cookies and often escapes into the wilderness without a destination in mind, and she dreams of owning a sprinter van and living the van life. But today, she is not in a van, folks. She is here with us at TDW. Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, welcome to the show. It feels so good to be here. Thank you. Let's kick this off with a post that you wrote that got 30,000 plus responses, right? This is insane. And it was about quiet quitting, which we know was a white hot topic. And it led you to a really big question. If so many are quiet quitting, then what are the jobs that people are loudly keeping? Or in other words, what are the qualities of the jobs that we lean into versus away from? And can you tell us why you see the evolution of a good job as one defined by career belonging versus career fit. Yeah, we are diving right in. This is so good. I I feel like the quiet quitting topic is getting a little old at this moment, but it's still a a theme that really hit a lot of people. They're like, it drummed up a lot of attention. And so it made me think, you know, I'm a researcher and academic and very theoretically minded. I was like, well, what are the qualities of good job? Like what makes someone stay in a job? And then my brain started spinning. And I was like, wait a second, we've got job and our work, but then we've got our career and we've got a calling. It's like a spectrum. What's going on? What is a good career? What is a good job? So I just started questioning all of these possibilities. And I'm honestly still marinating on that because I'm finding there's a lot of dimensions. Like anytime you look at research, there's never one single answer. It's like, well, what are the properties of good job? It, for a lot of people, they need purpose, they need passion, they need good financial compensation, they need that work-life balance. 
and they need their skills to match. They need to feel competent in it. Maybe they need a certain educational background. So I've started to sort of break down those parts. But at the end of the day, I was thinking there's something bigger than these materialistic qualities, right? Like what the job is. It's about how you feel. Like people stay in work because it feels good. And the feelings that really shine to me are that you feel seen, known, and valued in your work. But that also translates to your career. People develop careers where they are showing up and recognized, and it doesn't always matter that they're getting paid the highest salary. They feel like they're doing good work in the world, and that keeps them connected and motivated and enlivened. So that has really spun up a lot of new thinking for me in my research of what are the qualities of good work and good job, but how does that translate to a good career? And if a good career is about feeling seen, known, and valued, we're in a whole new conversation about what careers are today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that we're not talking about the same thing anymore, but we're still trying to find the language and the operational definitions as you're calling it. Like, what are we calling this thing now? Because it isn't the same as what it was. Yeah. I'm all about defying traditions. I want to cancel a bunch of terms from our vocabulary. <laughs> career fit is one of them. Career path is another. There's something bigger at play at the people I've been talking to in focus groups and interviewing and working with as clients. And they all sort of have this similar trait of, I want to have experiences. I want to do a lot of things in my life. Life is too short. I don't want to be boxed in. I don't want to hold a job just because I have to. They have these big grand desires of experiencing something that is bigger than just work. It's like your life's work. And we don't really have a term for that. I think that's kind of the new career. And so for me, this notion of a collection of experiences is really what the future of career is about. When you think about something that's purposeful, when you think about your life's work, for most of us, that's not something that you know at an early age. You may think you know it when you put your hand up in kindergarten and say, I want to be a you know fill in the blank, but that's a, an experience of uncovering. So I love this idea of a collection of experiences that sort of allow you to figure out and map out what indeed is your life's work. And of course, that's going to look zigzag and nonlinear and all these things that are naturally happening that people think, well, there's something wrong with me because I'm not following a path and I'm not growing and progressing. Because the, the real definition of career, if you look in a dictionary, is staying in one occupation for a long period of time and you're making progress. Well, if you look at today's statistics, first of all, a career span is going for 60 years, not 40 years. We have a longer time in the workforce. You guys are nodding your heads, you know this. And transitions are becoming more common than not. One of my favorite reports is the new map of life from the Stanford Center on Longevity. And they have, you know, seven or eight different highlights. One of the things they say in that map of life is that transitions are a feature, not a bug. Like we all need to embrace transitions again and again and celebrate them and have the tools so that you can do a career path that's not the ordinary. It's nonlinear because that's what transitions are. I want to push into this idea of a nonlinear career a bit more. And you have written about this awe-inspiring 90-second video that's been absolutely everywhere. And this is a video shot by Matthew Stern, or Matthew, for us English, native English speakers, of Johan Bourgeois' performance. And so if anybody hasn't seen this video, go Google it, check it out, find it on YouTube. Spectacular. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So Johan 
is dressed in a suit, looks like your typical corporate businessman, and he's climbing this constructed ladder or constructed staircase, rather. And he's falling on and off of it onto a trampoline and kind of dancing in midair. And he'll land on the first step and then on the third step. And then he gets to the top and then he goes down and he goes up. It's, it's really, really magical. And what makes it so incredible is that it's basically a visual representation of how we ascend and descend the career ladder or even more broadly as a metaphor, how we, you know, rise and fall throughout our lives and the beauty and the mess of that. So you call attention not to the time that he spends on the staircase, not to the time that he spends in the trampoline, but the time that he actually spends in flight. And you say that when we are in career flight, we are the most flexible, autonomous, and empowered. Can you tell us more about that? That's a fascinating idea. Oh, this video, to see Johan do this performance art piece, it just, all the bells went off in my head about this is an analogy of career and the research I write about. So essentially, we tend to think about careers as you're either on a path or you're off of it, right? If I was to ask you and do some career advising right now, I'd be like, you know, Alex, what's your path? And what are you, what are you aiming for? And if you weren't on that, then you're pathless. And so that was the main part of being on the staircase and falling on the trampoline. He's either on something or he's off. So typically, if you fall off something, you're going to fight that. You're like, oh my God, I'm falling. So you might be scrambling in air. You, your limbs might be wavering because you're like, oh my God, I'm going to hit the ground. And I see that in a lot of people in career transition. They're in this career fight of, oh my gosh, I don't want to be pathless, but I don't know how to get back on my path. And then there's another state of being, because I call these states of career being, where you could be frozen. Like maybe he didn't even want to fall off the stairs or maybe he was just stuck. And that is being in career freeze where people don't know what to do. When you look at the performance artist, Johan, he's enjoying the moments of weightlessness and being airborne. Like it doesn't look like a struggle. He's just in it. And it's that suspenseful moment of, is he going to go back to the stairs or back on the trampoline? And does it matter? And for me, that's this new idea of career flight where you are defying gravity. You don't have to follow a path or be off a path. It doesn't matter because whatever happens, happens and you're embracing it. And it really can take you in any direction you want. And that's okay. So flight to me is the ultimate experience where you have let go of being on a direction and you're finally just soaring to be the person you want to be, to enjoy what you want to enjoy in the way you want to. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks because flight is, it takes you anywhere. It seems like this could be a superpower in that if the world is increasingly disrupted, I mean, just look at the last three years, but even look at this year, whether you're talking about supply chain issues or whether you can go outside because there's too much smoke from a fire somewhere in the world or the pending recession or their war just kicked off over here or there are a bunch of layoffs in technology. It's like, pick your disruption. <laughs> there's a smorgasbord of these things. All right. But then it seems like being in flight and being good at it is going to be really important. Yeah, and it's a mindset shift. Let's not, you know, underestimate the change of belief systems. We have to help people understand it's not about the shoulds and the you need tos. It's your choice. That's the autonomy part. If you feel satisfied, delighted in your own zone and you're in flight, nobody can take that from you. It's that's why it's empowering to be there too. And it doesn't look like the status quo. You are defying the odds. You're living in this mode of welcoming everything, which is yeah. 
really powerful. Abundance instead of scarcity. Totally. And, and limitless possibilities, right? Your imagination suddenly becomes alive because it's okay if you do seven different jobs and none of them make sense to anyone else. That's your career flight. You're having experiences that make you feel seen, known, and valued. Right. And, and having the courage to go, this is where I feel alive. This is where I feel connected and fulfilled. Okay, let's get to the psychology of all of this. On your website, you have a bunch of tools which speak to the challenge of a professional identity crisis, which uh, I've seen up close and personal. I've been through it myself. We recently went through a merger and acquisition and at scale, I was watching people enter this thing, but no one really had words for it. You write, a professional identity crisis is when you undergo a loss of your sense of self in your work or career and don't know how to explain who you really are anymore or what you do. What are the markers of a professional identity crisis and how does one manage it? This to me is one of the terms I wish I'd learned sooner. I didn't even know it was a term that existed. And when people come to me, that's how they respond. They go, I didn't even know this was happening to me. Thank you for giving me that language. To back up a second, identity is a really big topic. And as human beings, we have multiple identities, race, class, gender, ability, age, socioeconomics. And it's important that we realize we have all these different identities that make us us. And so in my work, I decided to just focus on who we are in our professional lives, in the jobs we do, because that can be complex enough. We can have multiple hats we wear in one job or throughout our lifetime. When people give themselves labels, just to interject, I mean, there can be 30, 40, 50 labels when you really look broadly at, you know, who am I? And so your ability to narrow that down to just work, I think is really, really smart and helpful. Thank you. That, that's exactly right. And, and I had to give that disclaimer because the minute we bring up identity, people want to go in a thousand directions. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, I didn't know how to answer the what do you do question. And I was like, I don't know who I am. I know I have a job title and this job title program director is not me. It says nothing about who I am and how I do this work. And so it was through my own crisis of lack of sense of self, of not knowing why I'm trying to go for different jobs or I'm networking and I'm in a room and people are like, tell me about you. What do you do? And every time I'd come up with a new answer or try and be this chameleon and, and guess what they wanted me to say, because I was trying to make a good first impression. But ultimately, I just didn't know myself. I couldn't stand on my own two feet. I needed the job title as that backbone. Mm. So once I came to this realization, professional identity is who you say you are in your work. It is what you call yourself in your work. And you said this in the intro, I call myself a creative disruptor. That is the label I've given to name my professional identity. And this title, creative disruptor, I can trace it back at the start of my career. I just didn't know that's what I was. So it's been actually the common thread gluing me together, the overarching idea consistently of who I am in every weird job. I've been in the classroom, I've been at universities, I've been at startups. And ultimately, I had to find like, this is my, my way to call myself. So when I meet a lot of people today, they're in a career transition, and they're usually triggered by one of these factors of why they're having a professional identity crisis. I think there's a set of external factors as well as internal factors. So external are things like you got laid off, <laughs> you lost your job. Maybe you had a big birthday and you're like, oh my God, I just turned 40. Like, What's going on in my life? The internal factors can be like a low sense of self-esteem or self-worth, 
really like a lack of sense of self. You have only identified yourself the way other people have told you you are. So the first step is acknowledging, oh my God, I'm going through something like this. I don't know how to answer. What do you do? And then you can finally open that question and do the self-reflection to say, well, how do I see myself? Professional identity has about four parts to it if we want to get on the technical side of this. There's how you see yourself and defining that. There's how others see you, so that internal external piece. Then I talk about the conscious and unconscious layers. The conscious layer is who are you in your greatest areas of expertise? All of us have something we're good at or we feel very confident in. So who are you in that? And the unconscious layer is who are you when you're in that flow, when things are just so effortless and time is just fluid and you don't even notice what you're doing because you take it for granted. And when you map to those four areas, you can start to build a picture of the common traits of your professional identity and see what's emerging. And that's the work I do with a lot of clients is this intersectional layering as well as expansiveness to dive into who are you really and what do you call yourself? Where they can start to see themselves in an exciting new way. And that insight gives them the breakthrough to move forward. Exactly. I, the ahas blow me away. Can I just give a couple examples? My most recent clients, one woman, she's been a photographer and like event planner. She now sees herself as a moment architect. Like that is mm-hmm. the new awakening. This other woman uh, did like a lot of design work and branding and marketing. She now sees she's the quintessence instigator. She finds the quintessence of her clients and brings it through in her marketing and digital work. And another one, this woman's like the super connector, which is a term I hear a lot of people say, like, I'm a great connector. I'm a good relationship builder. But who are you really? She now sees herself as the binding agent because she's working across so many disparate disciplines. So I get chills just saying this out loud because yeah. these people have a whole new sense of themselves. Those are, the, those are amazing stories. And you know, you're talking about what are people experts in. And I would love to hear how you would do this you know, for someone like Nate, who keeps telling me he's an expert in jello snorkeling. I don't even know what that <laughs> is. But it, it, I'm a know, hybrid. <laughs> this is part of my hybridity. <laughs> own it, own it. You can't take that from me. We're going to talk more about that. Yeah. I, I love this conversation. We think this bigger question of who am I now is probably the biggest question of the decade because work, technology, and you know who we even are as, as human beings is changing so rapidly. You had a post on LinkedIn about a year ago that after a career setback you had, and you're feeling a little bit lost, and you went to the desert in Utah. Plug for Utah Desert, by the way, because it's amazing. I've been amazing for, for a 10-day journey. And you wrote, I believe anyone going on a self-discovery quest needs to have at least a week to allow the body, mind, and emotions to go through natural cycles of healing and rest before insights and transformative experiences can arise. And so we were curious in reading that, was that your way of kind of addressing this bigger question of, of who am I now? Oh, absolutely. I am not immune. Just because I study and know this stuff, I have to apply it back to myself. Yeah, I've gone through multiple professional identity crises. I think I'm up to like six. And each one feels different. Each one requires a reset and none of them feel good. It's always that uncomfortable, like icky space. I call it the messy middle. So I did. I just took off to the desert 
really no idea in mind, no plan. I had some books, I had some watercolors, I had my mountain bike and my dog. And I think in order for you to get a sense of yourself, you have to get away from the things that are in your daily life because you need that fresh space to just disconnect and downregulate and and feel yourself in a blank slate. Just be away from everything you know. And so the first few days are that rough like stripping and feeling and decompressing. And then when those layers and that noise start to dissipate, you can settle and see now what's really here. Now I can start to get some clarity and reconnection. And that's what the desert did for me. It was my blank slate time. And it really made me realize it would be beneficial if I would love if a company would do it, but really anybody at any time in their career took a professional identity retreat and just stepped away from their work, their life. You know, you need a you need a handful of days. I understand that to just say, who am I without all this other stuff around? If I let go of my job title, if I let go of the company I work for, if I didn't have any of these other things, what would I say is my identification in my work? That's really amazing. What was what came out of that for you, this particular trip? Just out of curiosity, what were the big takeaways? Yeah, it, it was over a year ago. So I've, I've got to dig into my memory a little bit. Um, I think the affirming part is realizing that I do love myself, right? Like realizing you have to like yourself first. If you don't like yourself, you've got a lot of other problems. And I do meditation. I do therapy. I do a lot of personal practices to, to, to help maintain growth and work on that path towards self-actualization. But when you are so burned out and you're in that dark night of the soul and everything feels heavy and hard, remembering that you like yourself and you enjoy your own company and you can find happiness in the world without all these other things that you've bought or you own to like, you know, enjoy. Those were really good moments. And then ultimately coming back to the language I've been using, am I still a creative disruptor? Does that fit me? Have I drifted from that? And I was like, no, I, I still know myself. This is me and this is my truth. Even though these other bad things are happening, like that will pass. So it it recharged me and was inspiring. And I, I think that was partially why I'm on this path to write a new book, because the big takeaway is I still own my career. No matter what happens with jobs and employers and companies, nobody else can take my career from me. That is mine to hold and own and grow and develop. And that was a big revelation. And that's your ability to dance in mid-flight, right? Mm. That was your ability to dance in mid-flight. And I love what you said about self-love. And I hope anybody listening or self-like, anybody listening that's struggling or suffering can click into that and say, hey, I'm going through a lot of SHIT right now, but I still like myself. And that's a baseline. And I think it's really great for people to have anchors when they're in those dark nights of the soul. They get things that they can grab onto. I also feel like you've done this so many times because it's preparing you to be the guide for so many others. Mm. You're so good at it now that when someone comes into it and goes, I don't even have words for this, you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> come with me. I've, I've been to this place a lot of times. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you around. It's a nice place. Come on. Very well said. Let's get into hybridity. I said we were going to come back to this. And here we are. A few years ago, you gave a TEDx talk. 
at Boulder. And the talk was outlining how many of us feel the challenge of explaining what we do and the labels we affix. And we've been talking about that. But you've got into something very specific. We define our career in two ways. Singularity, which means you focus on one thing. Maybe you've always done one thing. You're a specialist. Everybody knows you. Or multiplicity, which means that you do different things. You wear different hats. And maybe you're a gig economy, maybe you're freelance, maybe you're a corporate professional, but you also have a side hustle or something is going on there and that you're multi-talented. But what's missing is according to your research, we haven't given ourselves permission to blend these different things. And I would even say if in corporations, there isn't permission. In fact, a lot of times you can't even mention or you have to disclose that you're doing these things. So there's this really interesting thing you're saying that, no, we need to bring this together. And you call that hybridity or a hybrid identity. So can you talk to us about that thing? And are we finally, please say yes, we're finally to a world where we can openly talk about this and it's okay. Well, I wish I could affirm that last statement that it's finally okay. We are definitely, you are, you are in my group of early adopters now. So I need more people like you to help run with this language and build this momentum because I do see it's part of the wave of the future of work. So you said it so well, Nate, and just to retrace the steps. So my framework of professional identity is that there's these three types, singularity, multiplicity, and hybridity. And for the record, all three matter. I think we need people in each type. It's not like we need everyone to become a hybrid. There's a balance. And that balance is a combination that makes teams really high performers and companies successful because a company needs to hire a group of experts and they need the people that are the jack of all trades and then they need the hybrids. And those ratios are different in every system and every company. What's been missing for me is I keep running into all these multi-potentialite people, multi-dimensional, multi-talented, jack of all trade. I wear a lot of hats. Like that group of individuals is so stuck in just using that language of I do a lot of things. I can't explain what I do in my job because I wear a lot of hats. And I was in that group too. I was like, I don't know how to talk about myself. And that's just problematic because you start to sound fragmented and disoriented and like you don't know how to talk about your value. And I was like, something else is happening here. So back to this idea of spectrums, people who do many things, some of them are actually hybridizing. So my, my quick definition of hybrid professional identity is someone who has multiple professional identities and works at the intersection of them. And the intersection is where that unique value lies. It's where a new combination of identities is emerging and it defies language and it defies categorization. So they don't know where they belong in the workforce because they can be in multiple buckets. And yet they don't want to just be in one bucket. They're in that torn position of don't pigeonhole me, but also I can do a lot of things. Don't you understand? I have a lot of value. (laughs) That contrast is hard. So hybridity is really saying, I work at the intersection of, and this is a revelation. This is what we need more people to understand that there's a place for hybridity in the workforce. And until you can self-understand and have that self-knowledge, you won't be able to communicate it to others. You'll still sound messy or confusing, or you'll be changing your answer depending on where you're at. And I find a lot of people that don't realize they're hybrids, they take a job that doesn't fulfill their hybridity and then they feel stuck and then they transition again and the pattern just keeps repeating. Right. So for me, this is a conversation of empowerment and communication and value articulation. And the last thing I want to say, the terms that hybrid professionals tend to be like 
synonymous with in the workforce are things like I'm a chameleon, I'm a translator, I'm a bridge builder. My favorite one, especially in corporate America, are the silo busters. Who are those people in the office that don't just do a lot of things? They literally are working between departments or processes because they have that interconnected, integrated way of thinking and working and being. And they can merge parts of the company that no one else even saw. So that's a little bit of how the hybrid brings that value that's necessary. Can I tease one thing out of that? I want to use me as an example. I've found that it can be more welcomed once you're inside and people know you, you're a known entity, and then people start to really like that thing. And sometimes they can't even describe it, but they'll go, Nate is really good at creating organizational connectivity or whatever. But then on the outside, and I've experienced this firsthand, is applying for things. If you look like you can do a lot of different things well, often a recruiter or a hiring manager will say things like, it looks like you've been doing a lot of different things. And there's this edge of, yeah, we're not really looking for that. We want to pigeonhole someone into a tight little box. My entire career, I've been doing multiple things because I love it and I see the synergy between the things. I've always called it a mashup. But often in my career, I've found that there is something about hiring teams wanting to isolate and pigeonhole so that they have some sense of certainty that they're getting the right person as opposed to someone who has many different talents. Does that resonate for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are still in a binary way of thinking about the workforce. And breaking people down into a list of skills, I know there's a whole argument and there's a whole movement around the competency-based hiring. It serves a purpose, but it doesn't recognize nor respect the professional identities people have because professional identity and skills are different. So all three of us on this conversation right now could say we're great problem solvers. We can build connections. You know, We're conversationalists. We're good communicators. We all have the same skills, let's just say. But we're all calling ourselves something different in our work because we see ourselves differently. That's where the problems hit with competencies versus identities. What I'm noticing, there's a lot of hidden language in job posts, and I collect these job descriptions because it's part of my research, where companies are actually looking for a hybrid, they just don't know they are. So this is where we need to build more education. So anytime you see a posting that has kind of a both and, so I saw one for Microsoft, they needed someone who worked internally and externally that could you know, flex up and down within, inside the organization, could do this and that. So it was all these both and traits just listed. Well, that's a hybrid position. Clearly. YouTube was hiring someone for a role and they literally say, in this department, we work at the intersection of media and digital and this and this. They use the language at the intersection. So if you start to drill in, you'll notice that language. I think right now it's up to the individuals that are applying to represent, to know themselves, first of all, right? Like I work at the intersection of these three things. When you're applying, reinforce that both in your resume and in interviews to say, this is the intersection that I'm strongest at and here's why. Because then you help the employer, the recruiter understand the connectivity and not just see them as separate entities. Ultimately, once you're in that company for your personal retention and satisfaction, we need managers and colleagues who say, hey, how are you doing during a performance review or a check-in? Are you able to use your different professional identities in the way you need to to feel engaged and supported here? Professional identity conversations are just missing. 
So this is the future of work that I have in my vision, but I agree we're not there yet. And sometimes to get hired for a role, you've got to put yourself in a box before they can see you because we just haven't advanced everyone's thinking. So we're, yeah. we're in that weird space, Nate. Okay. I have one quick thing to share, which is when I was in my early 20s, I was talking to my grandfather and I was still kind of figuring out what I was going to do in my career. I was working in talent management and just starting on that path. and. Um, I was describing a lot of different things that I had an aptitude for. My grandfather was a pretty, pretty successful real estate guy and he was listening and he said, Oh, Jack of all trades, master of none. And it was kind of a dig. It was yeah. kind of a dig. And I Judge, felt judged it. you. I, I felt it. And you know, I, I could have used you then, Sarah Beth. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 Grandpa. I'm I'm a hybrid. But I, I genuinely think, Sarah Beth, this is critical. You know, I've been in the workforce for decades. I'm 46, right? This is, I've been there a long time and I've always felt like I'm your tribe the entire time, but I've never had a person to help me make my own language. So I've always made my own language. I literally have been calling myself a healthy disruptor. It's on all my tags forever. And you and I have never talked about this, but I just go, yeah, because I don't do just one thing. But it's always been like, Alex, you're saying a dig. People will sometimes go, yeah, we're not really looking for uh, whatever it is you are. <laughs> and I'm like, do you realize how valuable this is? Do you realize how like the adaptability piece, how critical that is in the future? I think leaders are going to be clamoring for this to go, we have to change the philosophy of how we're even thinking about this. And your work is going to be critical for that. Well, just as a side note to that, it is here already. Again, this is just, I'm, I'm pulling the, the curtain away so we can all see it. There are people out there called biogeochemical engineers. Those are three fields merged into one. People are looking mm-hmm. for that. They just aren't saying this is a hybrid professional. We're a biz dev ops professional. Like we know biz dev ops teams. That's three departments in one. You need someone to operate all of that. So there's all these little hidden parts. There are a handful of universities MIT, Carnegie Mellon, I think UPenn, that have these departments, um, because I've been brought in to talk to the students, they're interdisciplinary, and they're working at the intersection of like innovation design and business, and you get a degree in all three. And what the leaders of these programs have told me is, industry doesn't understand their graduates yet. Like, the students are attracted to these degrees, because they're like, oh, yeah, intersectional work, like, this is where I want to be. And then they try and get jobs. And People in, in the field are like, wait, how do these work? So we're just in this funny time of recognizing the power as well as the potential of hybridity. So one of our big ideas here at TDW is that we are living through the most disrupted and digital workforce in human history. And because of that, what we're really experiencing is a wholesale reinvention of work purpose and what it means to be human. Now, a lot of folks might say to us, hold on, guys, that's a bridge too far. What are your thoughts on that? Heck, yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the disruption. So we yeah. found each other for a reason. Yeah, I, everything that I've been you know, sold to be the truth from when I was a little girl of what do you want to be when you grow up and pick a career path and follow the milestones and and grow in the hierarchy. It's just isn't real. And I hear that again and again in the people I interview for my research. They feel 
they've been sold a bad bill of goods and they're disillusioned and they're dissatisfied and they're disenchanted. It's all these diswords. They're like, I don't know what's going on. And the number one thing when I ask people, well, how do you define a career? Nobody has the same definition. They're like, I don't even know what that word means anymore in today's world. Mm. Like the word career is problematic, which is why yeah. I say it's more of your life's work or a body of work. I'm, I'm just playing with what we really mean. I would love to start shifting a different mindset of the future of work is about your values and it's about the way you want to feel and it's about a constellation or a collection of experiences. And that's why looking more for career belonging than career fit to me is on that path towards realizing your potential or self-actualizing, getting to that calling or purpose level. If you are just trying to fit in what other people tell you to do and what you think work is supposed to be and what your parents celebrated as, as a good career, I feel like we're setting people up to fail. And instead, career belonging is about being accepted for who you are, however you are, and how you see yourself in your work. It's not trying to fit boxes. That feeling seen, known, and valued is belonging. That's what I hope more people can find. I've been told that's aspirational. I've been told that's a very privileged mindset to put out there because, of course, people need to pay their bills and have certain means. But if we're going to do this 60 years of a career span and be fulfilled and not burned out and be able to thrive, then people need to reframe everything they thought work was about. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, 100%. And I think for us, our mission from the beginning has been to help people not get stuck. And a big piece of that is, do I belong in this future of work? Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge piece. Can of I it. even see myself there? Can I even yeah. see myself there? And, and like you, we absolutely start with mindset. We find a lot of people ask the wrong questions. They want to know what's the next skill? What's the next course? What's the hot company? What industries are rising? What are declining? And we fully believe that it's about stepping back and, and starting with your mindset. Yeah. I think it's what you said, the philosophical, like the paradigm shift, the reframe of you can keep trying to run that old strategy, but it's outlived its usefulness. You're literally not going to get what you thought at the end, which is analogous to academia. Interestingly, it's not throwing shade against academia. It's just literally saying the way it's structured now isn't working anymore. And that's seen broadly. You know, it's too expensive. It takes too long. In a chat GPT world, it's moving way too fast, (laughs) right? And so then you go, okay, well, we still need to learn and we still need to develop the workforce of the future for sure. We also need continuous education. It just needs to happen in a much more compressed timeframe so that it's hyper relevant for whatever's going on. I think that's analogous to what we're talking about with career is we have to reframe this thing and look at the structure of the uh, ecology of it and go, oh yeah, this thing needs to redesign. This this needs design help, creative design help. <laughs> design help, life help. Um, one of the core factors I'm playing with in, in my new research is self-regulation as a quality of building career belonging because self-regulation is actually an ingredient towards happiness. Self-regulation is about delaying your gratification, realizing it will take time to go through these transitions and get to the next steps. And that's okay. Like, you don't have to have your career figured out at 21. Go have more life experience. Use that contrast to define more of what you like and what you don't and who you are and who you aren't. And eventually you can zig and zag and change. But knowing how to regulate yourself in that process is a critical aspect. 
And another detail is that meta-awareness. A lot of people just can't see themselves. They haven't been trained how to have metacognition on who they are. And they're relying so much on these assessments like a Myers-Briggs and a StrengthsFinders and a DISC to tell them, you fit this profile and you're good at that. But remember, those assessments put you into categories again. There's only 16 (laughs) different personality types or something. So there's these bigger skills that we're missing that are more meta and honestly harder to develop. I really like the concept of delayed gratification for all the kids that would have failed the marshmallow test like me. Um, (laughs) For anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's a test that they administer to kids where they basically give you a marshmallow on a table and say, you can eat this now, or if you wait, you know, X amount of minutes, you can have more marshmallows later. And there's no way I was getting more marshmallows later. So that that discipline and, and that rigor around how do you self-regulate, what you're really talking about is regulating your emotions, right? You're talking about how do you sort of handle the discomfort of building something that where you're you're really daring to be great and giving yourself the the space and perspective and the grace to go and do that. So well said. I have a suggestion for you. The measuring stick seems to be challenged. So the way that we measured good enough or acceptable or successful was a certain set of factors that are really traditional and dated. And what you're suggesting is the new measuring stick looks a lot different. The new scorecard or whatever the heck you want to call it. But then helping us go, actually, you thought you were looking for this. You're actually looking for that. Big time. An academic journal was just published a few days ago that crossed my radar, and it was looking at the professional identity of, I I think, emergency medical professionals. And these were quantitative researchers. So they had an itemized scale, and they were able to do validity testing on how much professional identity self-awareness mattered to these professionals to feel successful and qualified and um, connected to their career. So all that belonging stuff again. And it's the first time I've seen this stuff measured, to be honest. I got so excited. I was like, it is possible to A, recognize the power of professional identity and how you see yourself in your work as connected to how well you perform in your work. And this, yeah, so my mind was blown and I'm just excited that that research is coming forward. Yeah, imagine building out the measurement of this entire space in a way that's never been there before. Yeah. In related news, Dr. Brad Shuck in, out of the University of Louisville and the Org Vitals team are putting measurement around the work determinants of health in a way that has never been there before to actually measure what is the impact of this organization on a person who works there. And is that positive or negative? Wow. And, and I mean, this, so we're entering this age of measurement around career in a way that's never existed before. So cool. So and cool. <laughs> I have to ask you about little C's and big C's. Mm. You've been teasing out in blog posts and articles that you're going to write in a book, the next book, that's moving from little C career to big C career. What does that mean? Yeah, I, so I was doing these focus groups this winter and I was asking people, how do you define career? And I was so fascinated how different people's definitions and understandings and, and mental models were. And I started to analyze and synthesize what is going on here and realized we have two really different visions of career happening simultaneously that need to be separated. So first is the traditional model of a career, the little c career. It's defined by milestones. It's defined by 
following a path and going along a hierarchy and getting paid a certain amount and achieving certain things, it's all very externally related and motivated. And what I heard from people's experiences is they had followed the little C career and been disappointed. They're like, I got to the top of my field and now what? Or I got laid off and I have to restart. Like, what am I doing? What's the point of a career? And then on the other side was this big C, the vision of what a career could be. And it was these aspirations of being in flight and having autonomy and feeling fulfilled and empowered and flexible and just these glorious characteristics that were like, that's what we all thought a career was about, but why are we having a different experience of it? And that's the difference of the little C to big C. And I actually see there's a chasm between them. So people get to a point where maybe they've been programmed because of social norms and whatnot. Career is the little C. And at some point, you sort of have that awakening. You're like, this isn't working for me. I don't feel good in this. And what's wrong, either with me or society or whatever. And you start questioning. And maybe you've gone through some work trauma, or maybe you just hit a professional identity crisis. There's some kind of trigger and you're in this chasm of like, what's going on with me? What's wrong with my career? And what am I doing? In that muddy space is the crossing the chasm. You are healing. You are reflecting. You are questioning. You are reframing your mind. And you are building a new understanding of, I can have a big C career. It is mine to own and define and enjoy. And when you come out the other side, you are now in that new mode of operating from a big C perspective. So that to me is a big differentiator that career development people and career specialists and managers and all of us need to understand is which one are you in, the little C or the big C? Because they're going to affect your mental health and your orientation and which jobs you're going after and your quality of life. That is, yeah, fantastic. Sarah Beth, we are going to take you into a speed round. We're going to ask you five questions and try to answer them best you can in uh, a minute or less. Okay. And I'm going to kick things off. So a brave friend of mine who is a high-powered financial service professional was laid off in 2018, and she spent years trying to get another great job in financial services. And she just got a new job, and she's a post office worker. She's delivering mail. And she's good at it, but it's been a big blow to her ego and to her identity. What advice would you give her? I mean... It's a big transition to go from where you used to see yourself to not being in the same level of status and reputation. I would ask her, first of all, how does she see herself in her work? How does she want to be seen? And how well are those things aligned or misaligned right now? So if she isn't seeing herself, that's one body work. If people aren't seeing her the way she wants to be seen, then that's about communication and starting to build more of that examples to coworkers like, I want you to know me these ways, or these are other parts of myself that matter to this role. And then why is she in that job? Is that job just for now? Or does she see it as being something she's trying to hold on to long-term? Like understanding more of her goals and aspirations to then say, how can her professional identity show up more in that job if she needs it to? Or is there another direction that will emerge and she'll take that when it's ready or comes to her? So, so roughly, I think it, it really depends on her and her situation and how she feels right now. I'd have to know more on that. Hmm. I think that's still a really, really great yeah. answer just based on the little bit I gave you. So thank <laughs> okay. you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The next one is overemployment or having multiple jobs. 
some call it moonlighting, some call it hybridity, right? Has been taboo for corporate employers for a long time. And in some cases, legal gets involved and disclosures and all this stuff. But the reality is people are using multiple streams of income to navigate this disrupted world. And by that, we mean layoffs, mergers and acquisitions, recessions, right? Furloughs. There's all these things that have popped up and it causes people to go, I can't count on this one income. Is this the calling for hybridity? And is that the way we should look at it? I'm, I'm a fan of having multiple revenue and or multiple income streams. I think that's just managing your life well and diversifying both your interests and your assets. And it's not up to an employer to say, you can only be one thing. Like, then you're with the wrong employer. Like, find an employer that will embrace how you need to work. That's been one of my greatest lessons. When you're real with an employer from day one, and you show up the way you are, and you're like, hey, I do coaching on the side, or I have this other business, and you're transparent, then you're actually hired because of that value, or there's a better connection. But also, I want to call BS because look at all the corporate executives in these big organizations that are also speakers and writing books and they mm-hmm. work at the big brand name companies. And that is building their reputational capital both for the company and for themselves. So holding the keys and saying, we own you and you can't do other things, I just think is hypocritical. Of course, if there's conflict of interest, that's a different ballgame. So there needs to be some guardrails. I think. You define how you want your career to look. And if you're in a position that's not allowing you to be multiple things and you're the type of person that needs multiplicity or hybridity, go take a new job. Go figure it out. Love it. Number three, our research shows that because of the rapid pace that we're in with AI, new ways of working, et cetera, many of the jobs that we're going to be applying for in the next five to 10 years probably don't even exist yet. Does your advice or core messaging change at all when you think about this? Absolutely not. I would not have become a professional identity researcher if uh, there was like a roadmap. Like I ended up where I am because I'm ultimately recognizing who I am and what I need to do to thrive in this world. I believe the future is about divergence and convergence. That's evolution, that's innovation, and that's hybridity. And so hybridity can be within an individual. It can be within products, in companies, in industries, in jobs. So this is not a cycle that's ever going to end, but you knowing your core ingredients of what makes you you and what you need to stand on to feel fulfilled will help guide you as the world keeps changing because you'll know where your value can be best utilized. There's this huge movement around work needs to change. It needs to be better for all of us. And yet younger generations feel more comfortable with that. They are quick to adopt, quick to adapt, and and the gig economy gives them a ton of room to move. Um, in fact, the census still isn't even tracking a lot of the gig workers that are out there, which is fascinating. But that seems more hybrid sense of self. And then older workers are used to a different world, a different framework. And it seems like they're having a tougher time with this emergent workplace that is asking people to flex and bend and change seemingly daily. Do you think that's as simple as generational differences or is something else at play? That's a doozy of a question. I, I don't know if I have a brilliant answer for this question. I think there's a lot of complexity going on. And the factor that I'm most fascinated with is developmental. So a, a big part of my work too is human development and how we grow and age over time. I've been looking at how we're redefining middle age and what um, different milestones in life mean today that they didn't used to mean. So everything is in this upheaval and redefinition mm. period. 
And I meet people in their 60s that are going through their first career transition and people in their 20s that are going through it. And yes, they're both having a career transition, but the way they're experiencing it is different. And the person in her 20s is like, I've already achieved everything. Like, what's next? This career path idea is stupid. And yet she still has all this consciousness awakening to do, right? Like she still has so much more learning about what life is like and who she is, even though she thinks she's already at the first milestone. But who are we to tell her she's not? So my job is just to give her the tools of how do you reflect on your professional identity today? Because you're going to need to do this again in five or 10 years or however often. And the person in their 60s, this is going to be the first time they're having this aha or crisis or moving into an encore career. And they need these tools too. So to me, it's about human development and not about age. And how are we giving tools to support people? Last one. When you are coaching someone on professional identity, what lights you up the most? Ooh, I nerd out on intersectionality. The question that still drives me to this day, this is the foundational research question I've had for a decade now is, who are you at the intersections of your multiple professional identities? That question is so brilliant and it's so hard to answer. That to me, unlocking that for someone is the biggest gift I can give them. And you literally see how it transforms their entire way of being, sense of self, and connection to owning who they are. Because the intersection is you. It's just you in a way you've never been able to talk about it before. Sarah Beth, thank you for doing the research and the work that you're doing, for giving us the language to talk about career in an exciting new way and to to give us tools and frameworks and measuring sticks to kind of understand that this thing is changing radically and we can help one another as we all go through it. Let's get this into the language of everywhere, academia, the corporation, nonprofits, everywhere. We are so grateful for this work. And it's really nice as a me, Nate, going, oh, someone finally understands me. (laughs) So thank you for your good work and for being with us on the show. Oh, I am beyond honored. I've been a listener of your podcast and I've heard you talk about identity and professional identity. And I was like, I want to bring my voice forward and share. And so thank you so much for this opportunity. We are so happy you did. And folks, you can find Dr. Sarah Beth Burke at www.morethanmytitle.com. Again, morethanmytitle.com. Highly suggest you go there. There's some amazing resources on her website. Uh, Also on LinkedIn. Uh, Sarah Beth Burke. Thank you again. Such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes and key details about the episode, our guests, and how to connect with us. Our website also contains additional resources for learning, including our future work mindset model and action plan. The best way you can support the disrupted workforce is to subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To help others thrive in the future work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with the people you care about. Disrupt yourself to unlock your future.